You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Isaiah 49, 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he's spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Amen. And all God's people said, that was chapter 49. In chapters 40 through 48, thank you, Serena, Isaiah tells God's people who are in exile, they're in exile, that even in spite of their disobedience, in spite of their stubbornness, in spite of their faithlessness, the list goes on, of their shortcomings, in spite of all that, he tells them in 40 through 48, I will rescue you. I'm going to bring you home. Physically, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to restore you. And 200 years later, he does it. And he does it through a leader named Cyrus who didn't even believe in him. In Isaiah 45, 1 through 4, it it tells us this. You should see it up there. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. He's, he's telling them what I just told you. To Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen people. I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor. This guy, Cyrus, though you do not acknowledge me. See, that's what God can do. Take somebody who doesn't even know him, doesn't acknowledge him, and use him for his glory. Because he gets glory in everything. Verse 5 says this of that same chapter. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Verse 11 through 13 of that same chapter says this. This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel, and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children? Or give me orders about the works of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. 
I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or reward that I'll give him, says the Lord Almighty. He'll do it for me. He'll do it because I want it to be so. Because it's my glory. That's what it's about. Don't miss this. Why does God stop right in the middle of yet another announcement about another miraculous thing he's going to do for his undeserved people? Why does he stop right here? In 9 and 10 of the same chapter, you don't have it. He says, does the clay look at the potter and ask, what are you doing? In verse 10, does the baby say from the womb, why do you have me stuck in here? And right here in verse 11 and 12, which I just read, he says, let me remind you, I made the earth. I created it and I put you on it. Let me remind you of that. He says this, with my own hands, I stretched out the heavens and organized all the stars. Why here? Why does he say that here? Because they needed to be reminded of his greatness. Because they, just like us, they, they forget. They forget who's in control. So he reminds them, and, and I've been reminded all week of his, of his massiveness as we look upon this story of this baby that we celebrate the birth of. That's the rescuer, the savior of all mankind. The massiveness of this God who set that plan in place. See, our, our Milky Way galaxy, it's shaped like a pancake, like a big pancake. This isn't a pancake. This is actually an oatmeal bake, right? This is one of my best creations that I make for my kids in the mornings. And, and, and the Milky Way galaxy that, that we're in, that the earth is placed in like a golf ball. It's like a pancake with a golf ball in it, and we're, we're the golf ball earth. This is an oatmeal bake, and it's got a big strawberry in there, and that's, that's the earth, all right? And I want us to picture this today, his massiveness. We need to be reminded of this today. This, the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. It's pretty fast, right? Well, how, 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 how big is this? So, so a light year. A light year is, is traveling at 186,000 miles a second. That's pretty fast. For an entire year. How far are you going to go? You see, if this is, if this is, if this is us, this is the Milky Way galaxy, how fast will we pass by Earth? It's just thousands of, of miles in, in diameter. How, how fast will we fly by Earth? But how big is this galaxy? How long would it take you to go from one side of this galaxy to the other? A hundred thousand light years. Traveling... Just wrap your mind around this. Traveling 186,000 miles per second, it's going to take us 100,000 years to get across the galaxy. And how many of those did he make? How many of those did he make? It's estimated that he made 350 billion of those. That's with a B. And out of those 350 billion, we're on the earth, this little tiny thing wrapped inside one of these tiny little galaxies. And on this tiny planet earth, we're even this, on this tinier little place called the UK. And in this tiny place called the UK, we're on this tinier little place called London. And in this tiny little place called London, we're in this tiny little place called Ealing. 
And some of us walked in here thinking we got it all together. Some of us walked in here thinking we're pretty big. Let let him blow you away. He wanted the Israelites then, and he wants us to hear today. Rescuing you and me from anything that I allow you to get yourself into, that's easy for me. That's nothing. Years of exile, that's nothing. I'll even use a guy that doesn't know me. What you need to be concerned with, and that's what Serena just read, what you need to be concerned with, my people, is your sin. Because that's separating you from me. Have you thought about that? Have you wondered, how am I going to solve that? What Serena read to us is God and Jesus. Watch this. He's saying, you thought rescue from exile and restoring you to the promised land was going to be a big deal. I'm going to take care of your biggest problem that some of you don't even consider. You don't even think about. And you call yourself my people. See, that's what a perfect father does even for his most stubborn of children. We read today about the God who loved you enough to send his only son to watch his only son, his beloved, of whom he said, I am well pleased. He never sinned. He never wavered in his obedience. This is the son that he sent to die for you. And that, my friends, is the most unselfish act ever. And the second was this, that that man Jesus who speaks to us in this word today, that's pretty cool, he willingly endured all that pain, all that suffering, and all that loneliness for you and for me. And he only did it once because he only had to do it once for all mankind. That's what she just read, for all mankind. Not Not just for the special chosen ones, for all of us, for all of our sins, past, present, and future, paid in full so that in Christ, in Christ, we can have freedom. Somebody say amen, please. So if you're here today and you think, I've just, I've blown it. I've blown it. This text is for you. If you're here today and you think you just don't fit in anywhere, even here, this text is for you. And if you're here today and, and even in the tiniest iota of your mind and heart, you have the tiniest fraction of belief that you're bigger or better than someone else because of your, your race, because of your ethnic orientation, because of your career track. If, if you look at that rough sleeper and immediately think, I'm glad that's not me, this text is for you. You see, because what God does and what he's telling them 700 years before it happens is, I'm going to level the playing field. Literally, literally, he's going to give flesh to his words. Literally, he sent his only flesh and blood to die so that all, and in the Greek and the Hebrew, whatever language you want to talk about, all means all, so that all can have a seat at his table. That's what he's doing. That's what he's telling us. And this is good news that Isaiah is announcing. 700 years before baby Jesus will be nursed by his teenage mother Mary. 
Maybe you're wondering, I, I feel so distant from God though. This sounds like just so far away for me. I've been far from him for far too long. I just feel so apart from his love. I don't feel any of that. This text is for you. He knows you. And he reminds us that he ordained Jesus to rescue you before, before Jesus was even in Mary's womb. He knew you before you were even the tiniest cell in your mother's body. That's why people like Ben and others fight so hard, so hard, so that God's will can be done through those mothers' lives. This is what Isaiah 49, 1 through 3, is, is telling us. This is what Isaiah is announcing, announcing through Jesus. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. That's, that's what she just read. That's what it says in, in, in verse 3. And 700 years later, we read this. We read this. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your bride. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because, because he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Isaiah is announcing the incarnation. Jesus was God in the flesh, God in human form. And because of what Jesus did, what he just announced in Isaiah 49, in those first verses, the apostle Paul can say in Galatians 1.15, he can say this, but God, I love it when it says that. Anytime it says but God in the scriptures, watch out, something good's coming. But God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The same thing that these verses said would happen. And because of what God did through Jesus, we can say, we can say, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us? That you, that I, that we can be called children of God. And I love this. Because, and that is what we are. There's an exclamation point after that one too. Next slide, Galatians 2.22. If you believe what Isaiah, see the progression here. If you believe what Isaiah prophesied really happened, then, then you can say with Paul in Galatians 2.20. You and I can say this. If we believe, if we believe, we can say this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let that, let that sit. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. You see, you're not just looking at a bald man right now. You're looking at a bald man that has the Holy Spirit, Jesus, in me. So I in him, he's in me, and we're here all at once. His spirit dwells inside of me, and it makes no sense then if my life resembles a person. Or if my life resembles a life lived out for the pleasure of other people, that doesn't make any sense if I'm indwelled with, with the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus' life reflected God, the perfect love of God. The perfect life of godliness. That's why we study Jesus. That's why we look at the life of Jesus. My life, your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is supposed to reflect the love of Jesus who is in you. The obedience of Jesus is supposed to reflect that because he's in us. But does my life reflect that? Does your life reflect that? 
he was explaining this, Jesus was, to this guy, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus wasn't getting it. Like, the Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? And, G- and Jesus says, look at the trees. He says, you see, you see the leaves moving. You see it blowing. Can you see what's blowing the trees? And Nicodemus is like, no, I can't see the wind. But you see the effect of it. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. Your, your life should look different if you're a follower of Jesus. People should see it and say that she, she loves differently. Look at your life. Are, are we just leading ordinary, comfortable lives devoid of any thought of his will or his plan or his glory? Because that's what he wants. You see, we have to be careful. Look at me with trepidation at Hebrews 10, 38, please. But my righteous one, it says, shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You know how scary that is? If we shrink back, from our call. If we shrink back from trying to glorify him and let him lead our lives, if we shrink back from that, his soul has no pleasure in us. And we exist for his pleasure. We exist to bring him glory through all that we do. That's what it says here in Isaiah 49.3. That's what we just read You are my servant, it says, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. And that's the same thing Jesus says to us as his followers. You're to bear my glory. You see, we'll meet this servant Jesus one day soon. Do you you know what the life expectancy is now? Anybody have any idea? That's it. I had 83, but she's, she's more positive than I am, all right? 86 for females. Guys, it's 79 for us. I'm sorry. They're going to live longer, I guess. Because we keep banging our heads against each other, right? 79 means, and, and, and get this, because I, I think this way. You might think this is crazy, but I actually think this way. And, and, and if 79 is it, then I have 10,220 days to go. That's what it means for me. And, and I know that. And I think about it every day. And that may sound morbid, but I don't think it is. Because I want Jesus to claim before God that he received great glory from every single one of my 10,220 remaining days. How about you? Amen. So, so let's think about that today. How many do you have left? Think about it. Let's think about it. Let's consider today who's getting the glory from our time. Who's getting the glory from our days? Because that's, that's what we're being told today. He's, he's going to get glory. And not just from the good days, even, even the hardest days, even the hardest seasons. Because that's when you have the greatest opportunity, when people are watching you go through trial. Your true character shows when times are hard. A, a coach I trained up, and he was assisting me for a long time. Every time we were in a game, and it was like, one of our players was shooting a free throw to win the game. Or is it a real pressure situation that one of our kids in was in? He was leaning over to me and he would say, pressure bus pipes, coach. Pressure bus pipes. 
what he's saying is the true character of this, this young man is going to be revealed in this, in this hard time. True character, grit, strength is shown during the toughest times. Look at, look at Isaiah 49.4 because this is Jesus. This is Jesus in, in the toughest time. And he's saying, I have labored in vain, Isaiah 49.4. I've spent my strength for nothing, vanity, yet, hear that word, surely my right is with the Lord. And my recompense with my God. Yet, that's a huge word. This is Jesus seeing in his oneness with God the stubbornness of Israel. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? He said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And he gets no help at all from any of his closest guys. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says the same word that Isaiah says here. Yet, with all that bad happening... Yet, in Isaiah, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. Not here, my reward is there. In Gethsemane, he says, yet not as I will. Please, Lord, if there's any other way, but if there's not, yet not I will be yours. These people you've given me to lead are stubborn. This is not working. I want to give up. This pain I'm enduring, this loneliness, this torture that awaits. This is Jesus saying this. Is it the only way, Father? Yet, Jesus says, my reward is not here. Redeemer family, let us be people that say yet. Regardless of our circumstances, let us hear today and be people that say yet. Not my will, but yours. Let us say that together. Let us say that collectively. That's why we gather. That's why we stir each other. That's why we pray for each other. It's for his glory and our future reward if we endure by faith. You see, abundant life doesn't mean easy life. God has a bigger picture. That's what I want us to see today. That's why I took out an oatmeal bake. There's a bigger picture here. He wrote the book of your life and you can go outside the pages if you want, outside of his will when things get hard. But his story is bigger. His story is better. And his story is always for your best. God's best. We have a phrase in my house. We say that all the time. Is it God's best? It might be good. It might look good. It might feel good. But is it God's best? Because that's what we want. And that's not always easier. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, even the hard things, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He's working it out. And in the hard chapters of the book, the hardest times in the movie, when the hero is at his lowest point, do you really doubt that he's going to live? See, that's the only kind of movies I want to I, I go to. I want to know how it's going to end. I want to know that the good guy is going to win. Right? I, don't, I don't like anything else. I'm a really simple dude. right? And you know that the hero is going to live. Jesus is the hero. He is the rescuer. Church, your father God is for you regardless of what you're walking through. He's for you. He's for you. He is so for you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a big four. He died so that we might, not, we might have a life. And not just normal, worldly life. John 10.10 10 tells us that, that I came that they might have life. And have it abundantly. Not just life. Not just normal life. Not just comfortable life. Maybe that's what you're settling for now. But that's not what he wants. 
He wants abundant life to be wrought through you. God's plan for us is always bigger than we think. And get this, it's the same for Jesus. That's what the text today tells us. It was the same for Jesus. The, he thought he was there just to restore Israel. But take a step back because Jesus stuck really close to the Father. That's why we got to stick really close to him. In verse 2 of the text today, you might not have caught it, it said, Jesus says, my mouth is like a sharpened sword. The word of God is called the sword of the spirit. We've, we've got to meet with him through his living word so we can stay close, so we can see the bigger picture of what he's calling us to. Because we can't see it unless we stay close. We can't hear it unless we stay close to him. Jesus sought out his father. Go, go look at how many times Jesus sought out his father early in the morning. Are you seeking out your savior in the quiet of the morning? When was the last time you sought him out early in the morning? Jesus knew he had been called, as it says in verse 5, to gather Israel to himself. He knew that. But these verses today tell us God wanted more. God wanted more. <laughs> God wanted more. In verse 6, it says this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to bring back to preserve his Israel, I've got more. I will also make you, Jesus, a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's for you, and that's for me, and we weren't deserving. Jesus didn't think it was part of the plan, but here you go. He is that big of a God. He loves his created that much. He always wants more of us, so that he might make himself known through us that more might be saved because of our lives for his glory. See, as a, as a son, God had a massive plan laid out for Jesus. But as followers of King Jesus, he's got a massive plan laid out for us. And, and he gave it to his first disciples. He gave them a command that's still for us today. It's still for us today. And you might not think about it a lot, but when he says to his guys what he wants us to hear today, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am with you. Surely I am with you in the form of the Holy Spirit. I go with you. I will not leave you. I am for you. I am in you. But it's not about you. God is always preparing you for the next thing. He always wants more of you and me than we expect. Hear that well. He always wants more of us than we expect of ourselves. Brittany and I were leading a, a, a thriving ministry. We lived on 72 acres. It had cabins. It, we lived in a house that overlooked a lake. It had a pool. It had sports halls. It had a dining hall. It was this cool space, and it was thriving and growing, and we were seeing God work in really cool ways. And I spent most of my time leading staff who were believers, but they just needed to be stirred to more. And I spent most of my time with young people who, who professed faith, but they, they, they needed to see and be challenged with the fact their lives weren't matching up with this, with this book. And we wrestled 
because it was so good. We wrestled with our longing to be amongst and immersed in lostness again. We missed it. And we wrestled with, is that what God was leading us to? And I cried out in prayer and I met with the Lord and met with the Lord and cried out and cried out nothing. And then this verse, verse six, it hit me in my greatest time of need. I was wondering, I was crying out, God, are you really moving us? It's so good here. My kids are so happy here. Everybody's so, so comfortable here. There's that word. And I saw this verse. It's too light a thing. It's too light a thing. It's not about your good. It's not about your comfort. It's about me and my glory. And I knew at that time when I saw that verse and what he said to Jesus and what he did through him. And as a follower of Jesus, I knew. And shortly after that, I get an email, coincidentally, right, from a guy I met on my first trip here, this this, this basketball club that was recruiting me to come in 2014, I came here and I spent about two hours with a guy named Tim. And he was one of their lead guys, but I spent about two hours with him. And he had been praying for me. This is 2017, 18 maybe. He had been praying for me for four years since I left. And I didn't even know it. And I get an email from him about the same time I read that verse. It says, hey, Greg, three sentences. Hey, Greg, Tim from Ealing. I was like, who is Tim? Oh, Tim, yeah. I've been praying with you. I'm praying for you and your family daily since you left. I'm hearing from the Lord. It's time for you to come. <laughs> Blessings, Tim. That was it. His story is always bigger than we expect. Jesus is in us if we believe. Jesus is for us regardless of what you're going through. But Jesus is not in us for us. He's in us for him and his glory. And he's after glory through us. He wants to glorify himself through all of our days. And nothing brings him greater glory than showing others to the love of the Savior. The day is coming, Redeemer. And it says it in this last verse of the text we see today. The day is coming that Paul writes about in Philippians 2. That day when at the name of Jesus, in Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what? To what? To the glory of God the Father. He's going to get his glory. And that little baby that we celebrate the birth of in this season, he was no ordinary baby. God had bigger plans. He was to be our rescuer and our king. And whether you know it or not, you were born to serve him and bring him and his father, our father, great glory. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... <laughs> You are far bigger and far more massive and far more powerful than we could ever imagine. And you love us far more than we deserve. And there's nothing that we can do that will make you love us anymore. And there's nothing that we can do <laughs> that will make you or cause you to love us any less. We thank you for sending Jesus, to be our Savior, help us to bring glory 
to him through our lives in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.